Good morning. Uh, my name is Trevor. I'm a member of All of Life, and it is a really cool privilege to be able to teach today. I'm in the middle of kind of a developmental teaching series for me, where I get to teach like four Sundays in a row. Uh, and so this is just a, a great opportunity for me to experience like the, the challenge, right, of consistency of, of speaking and teaching. Um, now, what we're teaching on today is all about anxiousness. Uh, it's a pretty famous passage that many of us are probably aware of, where Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, uh, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. And then he says, look at the birds. He says, look at the flowers. Um, So many of us are familiar with that. I know I've heard it in the past. And uh, if I'm being frank, two years ago, if I would have taught this, I would have done you and it injustice. Uh, I've lived the majority of my life kind of on like an emotional high I haven't experienced a lot of trauma or pain, and so that means that I haven't had to deal with a lot of hard emotional stuff. Matt, can you point that fan so it doesn't blow my Bible around? Thank you. Um, Graciously, uh, God has been kind and has let me experience heart palpitating anxiety the last two years. Um, And so I approach this with zero superiority. I approach this um, having gone through it, having being in it this morning. Um, And so would you just pray with me really quick? Because I need God's spirit with me, um, and I hope that you do as well. Father, Father, this morning is all about seeing and knowing you uh, sincerely. Uh, We're here to sing your praise, um, not in order to like cake falsity on top of what's real in our lives, Uh, We don't sing praise in order to hide what's real, um, though that can be what accidentally happens. We're here to let our souls unravel uh, in the safety of your presence, to experience um, comfort in your your presence before you. Uh, Would you help me to do that, even in the midst of this practice of teaching? And would you help all of us to do that as we hear your word today? Amen. So here's where we're going today. Uh, We're going to start with just looking at the consistency of God in the Old and the New Testament, both the consistency of his message as well as his character, who he is. And then we're going to look at our design. You and I created in the image of God as relational beings. We're created for relationship. And then we're going to look at how through relationship, we can engage with God. And there's kind of two main ways we're going to hit this. Um, of ways that we perceive God that affect our relationship with him. Um, And then we're just going to look at how do we actually be present with God? What's a simple tool to help us be present with him in an authentic way? And then we're going to practice that together. We're going to do something totally out of the box, and we're just going to try it as a room full of family in Christ. We're just going to do it together for a few minutes. And I'm excited about that. So where we're beginning is with the library of scripture, right? So we are in Matthew, which is right here in your, your Bible. And Matthew separates what is the new from the Old Testament. So these are two very helpful categories because like we've talked about before, Jesus coming changes everything. And so the fact that there's a distinction makes sense. But what that can do is it can make us forget that these are all actually like one picture, like one same story, right? God is the same on page one as he is when Christ comes, as he is when Christ returns at the end. And so um, last week we were reading from the New Testament, 
Matthew chapter six, verse 19. And in summary, what Jesus was saying was, stop laying up treasures on earth. It's where moth and rust destroys, but instead lay up like work for treasure in heaven. That's where moth and rust will not destroy. And then he says like where your heart or where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then he continues and says, um, if you have a healthy eye or a right view of possessions, then your body will be full of light, meaning wisdom and generosity. And then he concludes this teaching on possessions by saying like, you can't serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. You do have to choose. It's impossible to walk two paths. And we really intentionally connected this New Testament words of Jesus with Old Testament character of God by looking at the Exodus narrative. Do you guys remember that? That was where God rescues his people out of Egypt. He brings them into the desert and the desert is where he shapes them. He gets empire or Egypt out of their hearts and he begins to teach them how to trust him to provide. And his universal message to all of scripture is, you can trust me. Last week, as he was inviting us to share our time and our resources, his language was laying up treasures in heaven. Like we immediately see that that points at trust, right? I feel that tension. Like I want to trust him. Do you guys feel that? Like I want to trust. I want to live for the kingdom of God, but like, ooh, makes me hesitant. Like I find myself getting nervous. I ask, like, if I commit to this, like, what's going to happen? What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? And remembering the Exodus narrative, the people who are in the desert, they ask those exact same questions. God, how are we going to provide for ourselves? It would have been better if you left us in Egypt where we at least had meat and bread. Like what's going to happen to us? Remembering Jesus was speaking to real life human beings. He was in a crowd of people in the New Testament when he said these words. And you can tell that he saw those same questions on their faces. Don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And people are like, what's gonna happen? Like, oh my gosh, is he serious? And you know that that's the case because this is what he says next. Therefore, don't be anxious. Your God, like God will provide, right? So he's addressing them. And so I'm gonna read his words in full, top to bottom. But as I do that, I just love for you to like imagine the continuity of Jesus in the New Testament and God in the Old Testament. How fitting these exact words would have been to Israel. After six weeks in the desert, they've run out of food and they're asking God, how will you provide for us? This is Matthew chapter six, verse 25 through 34. And he says, or therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, a great king in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't know God, seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, the very first thing I want us to point out is that clinical anxiety is not Jesus's main point. Uh, he's giving a, a teaching on treasure in heaven versus treasure on earth, how we use our time and our resources, what we put our trust in for our safety and our provision. And then he transitions to our anxiety around that. And so though that like uh, ties into some like broader anxiety that many of us feel, that's not his like, main point. And so out of fairness to the text, that's not where we're going today, though much of what we'll cover might be relevant. Um, anxiety often does boil down to that. But I, I want to point out that if you're experiencing anxiety that is deep, deep, deep and long term, um, this passage is relevant. But if this is where you stop, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave you hanging. And I don't want you to feel like you're just left hanging. There's more in scripture, but then also like real life human relationships, counseling, spiritual direction, stuff that you can seek. If that's you and you want resources or help, I'd love to talk to you. You can email hello at alloflife.church or just come talk to me. Um, and I'd be glad to start that conversation and get you some help, okay? So, but here in scripture, Jesus is responding to the tension that we felt last week about what am I, like what's gonna happen to me if I follow Jesus? And again, his message underneath all of that is, you can trust me. I'm a good father. I'm a good king. And as we look at Jesus's words here, where he then transitions and says, don't be anxious. Um, in order to hear him clearly, we need to understand both the words and the content of what he's saying, but we also need to hear his heart behind it. Um, have you guys ever heard the saying, like, how you say what you say? is just as important as what you say. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah. The reason that's true is because we're relational beings, right? Um, we're not primarily driven by fact and cognition, though those things are part of us. We're primarily shaped by relationship, by a, a sense of trust and safety with someone. So the, the facts and the content of our speech, important, 100%. But that's not primarily what shapes an interaction or a relationship. It's not what shapes how we feel or how we respond. And so in order to illustrate how important relationship is, like at a genetic level to you and I, how important relationship is, and also to illustrate um, how true it is that, we're, that relationship shape us, I'm gonna show us a really quick video. It's gonna be about four minutes. over the years is that babies are much more capable than we initially imagined. 
but they're also much more vulnerable. And in Edtronic's still face experiment, we get to see both in a very short period. We see the baby and the dad playing together in their routines. There are things that they know about each other and things that they do together, and it's fun. And then we ask the dad to turn away, and when he turns back, to keep his face completely still and not respond to the baby. And the results are almost immediate and they're devastating. The baby looks to the dad and tries to get the dad to get back into those games. Hey, we were just playing just a minute ago, weren't we? We were having fun, what's going on? And then the baby starts to get frustrated when that doesn't work. So she'll have to look away and look around the room and find something else and then look back and say, now can we play? And within three minutes, the baby has really dissolved. She is trying to get out of the chair. She's uncomfortable. She's reaching out to dad. She's crying. And then we ask the dad to turn away again. And when he turns back, to go back to being regular dad. And it's a joyous reunion. They get back into their routines, the things that they do together, the things that they were just doing three minutes before. And the baby settles down and gets back to the comfort zone that she's developed with the dad. What we see in the still face experiment is how able the child is to initiate and be part of the relationship between the father and the child, but also how much she depends on that relationship in order to keep an even keel. And when she's grounded and comfortable, she can explore the world, she can meet new people, Hola. she can try new things, and she's got that safe base that she can always rely on. And there's a trust level there. We can only begin to imagine what it's like for babies whose life is like that three minutes all of the time. And they don't get that responsiveness and they don't get any help getting back to an even keel. And the results can be very tragic. They can have trouble trusting people, they can have trouble relating to people, and they can have trouble being calm enough so that they can explore the world and take part in the world. So we know that those initial relationships, that initial responsiveness and interaction between the father and the baby are keys to the baby's success as a child and as an adult. Naturally, Foundational relationships shape our lived reality. They shape our lived reality. And this again has been God's message since day one. He's, his message since day one has said, trusting, loving relationship with the Father has the power to redefine 
our lived reality. That is God's message. This is his driving motivation. And as, as a church, as all of life, like we talk a lot about remembering the face of God smiling upon you through Christ. And that's about far more than theology. It's about far more than cognition. It's about relationship. At a soul level, are we relating to the Father? Because if we misunderstand the face of God, then we misunderstand God himself. And then we begin to find ourselves in relationship with a false God. And that ends up becoming deeply, deeply damaging. If we misunderstand God's face, we'll stay stuck in cycles of fear and mistrust. We'll stay stuck in cycles of anxiousness. And if we misunderstand God, the good news that Jesus has for us in Matthew 6, like, it's gonna strike our hearts and create damage rather than trust. So if I may, I'm going to summarize this as, as the God that um, some of us accidentally relate to, the still face God. And there, there might be some like echoes of, of how we, when we read this on our own, like how it actually strikes us. Don't lay up treasure on earth. Lay up treasure in heaven. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you'll wear. Look at the birds. I feed them, don't I? Won't I take care of you too? And which of you without me can add even an hour to your life? Why are you worried about your clothes? Look at the lilies. They grow fine, don't they? I dress them better than kings. Won't I dress you also, you of little faith? The pagans, those who don't know me, they're constantly chasing these things. But you know better, you do know me. Obey me, live for my kingdom, pursue my righteousness, and I'll take care of the rest, I'll provide for you. Stop worrying. God can have hard words for us, right? There's places in scripture where he has hard words, where he says, I've turned my face. But that's not the majority of who he is. Like those moments only arise in prolonged, like grievous situations of unrighteousness where God for like 99% of the time is patient and kind and he extends himself and he's loving and Jesus is that God embodied. Jesus was a prophet with fire in his belly. Like he came and he knew when to say like, woe to you. He knew when to come and be strong and hard. But Jesus was also like sage-like. Jesus was, he describes himself as our friend. Jesus was inquisitive. He was observant. He was imaginative. Jesus was kind and gentle. Matthew, he says, I am gentle and lowly in spirit. Jesus told stories. Like, he did weird things all the time that like caught people off guard. Like Jesus was not coming with this like still face stone wall, don't be anxious. Jesus came 
and just like blew people's minds. Some of the things he did that like reveal like his character and some of like the unexpected personality of Jesus is he would regularly tell stories, right? And oftentimes his stories were these riddle-like parables and they required thoughtful reflection. They required us to like hear him and engage with him at a personal level. In John chapter eight, he does this thing that just redefines our understanding of God's face. Uh, John chapter eight, there's a, a woman who's being dragged into the street for adultery and there's crowds that are about to murder her and stone her in the street. And Jesus doesn't come out and overpower the crowds with his voice. Jesus squats down in the dirt and begins to draw. And then he looks up and he says, you without sin cast the first stone. And then he just like goes back to drawing and waits for the clouds, crowds to disperse. In Matthew chapter 19, a rich young man comes to him and says, hey, teacher, I've done everything right. I'm following all the commandments. What more must I do? And Jesus doesn't come out with this like powerful, fiery, like you and your arrogance, let me put you in your place. He hears the man out and he goes, okay, go sell all that you have and follow me. And then he, this like hard to comprehend Jesus just lets the man sit in that tension and lets him wrestle with it. And then Jesus, I think sadly, just stays silent as the man turns and walks away from him. Jesus, like other things that he did that was sage-like is he regularly withdrew to quiet places. He regularly went out to be with his father with zero distractions. And what we see in the life of Jesus, both in Matthew, but also the three other gospels, is we see that Jesus was strong and prophetic. He did have like the, the strength of God, but he reserved that primarily for those who were the religious elite, those who were abusing their power in representing God. They were misrepresenting God. And so he came at them with strength. But more often than not, any of the stories in scripture, you'll see that Jesus was gentle and kind. Whenever he's interacting with broken or sinful people, he comes with loving and empathetic presence. He comes with assurance of God's care for them, even despite their disobedience. He comes and brings patience and hope and so when I read Matthew 6, I do not think that Jesus was cold and condemning. I don't think he was still face God saying, don't be anxious. Don't you know I'm going to take care of you? I don't think that was his posture. And if we remember the context of all of the Sermon on the Mount, I think it would look a little bit more like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you mourn. You'll be comforted. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll be satisfied. And then he says, don't lay up treasure on earth. Like moth and rust are just gonna destroy it. Instead, lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And he says, you can't, you can't, you just can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. But because you're serving God, you don't need to be anxious about your life. 
You don't need to worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear because you're more than food and you're more than clothing in my eyes. To God, you are son or daughter. And then Jesus in this like imaginative, observant way says, look at the birds. No, really, just look at the birds. Do you see them reap or sow or gather in the barns? Of course not. <laughs> no, it's because like, our heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they? And then he says, like your anxiety, it's not gonna help you take control of your life at any time to it. But that's okay because God's in control, right? And we can trust him. And then he says again, like, look at the flowers. No, really, like look at the flowers. Likely Jesus was saying this in the springtime on a, like a, a blooming hillside. He said, look at the flowers. See how they grow? Like, look how beautiful they are. I know you have little faith. I know you're nervous, but God clothes them. He provides for them and he'll provide for you too. And he does have hard words. He does say the Gentiles, like they don't know me. They don't know me. They don't know God. And so they can't trust him. So they end up chasing after all this stuff. They end up acquiring more and more without actually finding any true peace. But you, you do know God and you know that you can trust him. You can trust his kingdom is worth chasing. He promises he'll take care of all the rest while you follow him. The video we watched like, helps us see like at this foundational level, like our foundational relationships shape our lived reality. And again, this has been God's message since day one. Trust me, be in relationship with me. It will shape your entire lived reality. This was the same thing he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. It was the same thing he said to the Israelites in Exodus. It's the same thing he said in Matthew to the Gentiles of Judea. It's the same thing he says to you and I. He says, trusting, loving relationship with the Father has the power to redefine our lived reality. And again, if we misunderstand God's face as he's saying all of this, we're gonna stay stuck in cycles of fear and mistrust. But if we begin to see God's face accurately, then we'll end up building a relationship that creates trust and sturdiness and peace. This relational component, this is why Jesus as well as New Testament writers are constantly pointing us to prayer, right? They're pointing us to prayer. And it's because prayer is presence with God. And if prayer is presence with God, we know that presence builds relationship. We know that relationship builds trust. And we know that trust builds peace and sturdiness. A different way of saying that is to say, you can't be at peace without trust. You can't have trust without relationship. You can't have relationship without presence and you can't have presence without prayer. And as many of us approach God in prayer, prayerful presence, I think the reality is many of us have a hard time being with God and it's because many of us have a hard time being with anyone in general. I know I find that's often my reality. We have a hard time being with anyone in a meaningful way. 
This is why we can feel surrounded by people and activity and yet feel deeply lonely. And so one tool that I'd like to give us is just a simple phrase that captures one of the barriers to being with God that we experience. And it also will probably translate and help to being with others. And it is this, it's three words. Perfect before connect. What this means is I'm nervous about how you'll receive me. And so I need to perfect myself before I can connect with you. I need to have the right explanation for my emotions. I need to have the right emotions. I need to have all my work done. I need to have my loose ends tied up. I need to figure out all of my stuff before I can come to you and connect. And you can see how that limits our ability to be with anyone. The way it works out in my life is I find myself hiding internally. Now the opposite of that, so if that's the barrier, perfect before connect, the, the tool, the helpful thing for us is connect to perfect. And that just means like, I trust that you'll receive me even in my imperfection. Even when my, I don't have rationale, my emotions are crazy, like I don't have all my homework done, I can still come and expect to be received. I can connect. And through that connection, you are able to perfect or work through the hard things with me. Through connection with our Father, our lived reality is redefined. Our lived reality, who we are, is more and more perfected, made more and more Christ-like. But it's not because we come to him with all the right answers. We come to him with our mess and we say, I trust you to take care of me. I trust you to hear me. And I trust you to begin to reshape me. I connect to perfect. Does this sound at all like the gospel? Ephesians chapter two says this, but God rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus says, come to me, all, you, all who are weary and need rest. Come to me. And in my life, the freshness of those three words, what, I, what I've heard a thousand times, but struck me at a slightly different angle, has totally just helped me to approach God and approach like my friends, my family in a new way. Now, as we, as we wrap up, there are three evidences of God's presence, um, of God's provision in this portion of Matthew. Number one, the birds. Number two, the lilies. But there's one more. Do you guys see it? There's one more image. It is Jesus of Nazareth. 
Emmanuel, God with us, sitting in a field surrounded by lost people. Jesus' very presence in that field is evidence of God's provision. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sent his son not to condemn it, but to save it. As much as we remember the birds, as much as we remember the lilies, we need to remember Jesus Christ sitting in a field of lost people as an act of God's provision. That was God saying, I will provide for you by sending my son. I will care for you by sending my son. So if you and I ever have any doubt as to what is the look on God's face upon us, what is his posture towards mankind? The image of Jesus sitting among a crowd of lost people, the shepherd who came to care for us, that settles the question. What is God's face right now? It's the same look that God so loved the world that he sent his son. Now, the way we're gonna end our time is by doing what Jesus says we should do. We're just gonna create a few minutes to do that because trust is hard, right? You can't turn trust on. Uh, as even when God says it, trust me, as much as we desire, as much as we want to, it's, it's not a switch. Um, there's a difference between cognitively knowing something and experientially knowing something. And again, when Jesus sees the anxiousness on the, the faces of the people in front of him, he talks about the birds and the flowers. And as he does that, he's giving illustration, yes. He's giving a memory thing that we can remember, but I think he's also giving practice. I think he's giving away, he says, do this to experience my father's face, to remember my father's face. You don't need to be anxious. Look at the birds, soak in their reality. Let them be a physical anchor that reminds you of the provision of God. So we're gonna take about seven minutes for reflection and contemplation. Where we're gonna begin is with about 90 seconds just to observe the detail of these wildflowers. We'll take 90 seconds just to take in their shape, their texture, all the micro details. And what this is doing is it's growing an appreciation in us for the creativity of God who made them. So good. 
The flowers that are in our hands begin to receive care and provision from God long before today. When we were entirely unaware that these flowers even existed, God has been, for months, caring for them and providing for them. He protected them through the winter. In the spring, he provided moisture through snowmelt and rain. And since they've sprouted, he's provided sun. Over the next minute, just consider all the ways over the last few months, before you even knew this flower existed, how has God cared for and provided for the flower in your hand? In the goodness of God. Jesus uses these flowers to remind us that we live in the same world as these flowers. Even though we tend to live inside of our own bubbles, our own small worlds, we are in God's world. In the same way that he's been caring for and providing for these flowers without our awareness, he's been providing and caring for us even without our awareness. Over the next minute, consider how has he without us even being aware, provided for you over the past two months or so, over the lifespan of the flower in your hand, how has he provided for you? And how is he even providing for you right now? Jesus is inviting us to trust in the Heavenly Father. He's inviting us into trusting presence with Him. Is there anything that you've been trying to perfect that has been preventing connection with the Father? Over the next minute or so, can you just name it, identify it, and bring it to Him? As you do so, remember His kind face. He's asking for you to come to him and connect with him and let him be a transforming presence for you. You lead me and guide me, God. 
this question when will God's care and provision for you end when will it stop does his care and provision for you end even at your last breath or does God care and provide for you even past the point of death Ephesians chapter 2 says but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. And he's raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness and grace toward us in Christ Jesus. So our time is together taking communion and this is a continuation of our reflection and contemplation of God's provision because Jesus's life um, his, his blood shed for us his body broken for us is a, a act of provision by God and us participating in communion is us remembering and us resting in, us trusting in God's care and provision, both in this life as we experience God's kingdom and his rule over our hearts, but also as he cares and provides for us in the future, in eternity. And we have hope that is long-lasting. Take a minute uh, to participate in communion and enjoy the promise that he has through Christ to provide for you even into the future. in 
end our time together, I hope that these uh, three images um, serve as concrete anchors that, that um, create trusting, connected relationship with God, the Father, that help us to trust Him uh, and, and experience peace and sturdiness. And those three images are one, look at the birds, how the Father feeds them. Two, look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. If your Father so clothes them, will He not much more clothe you? even when you have little faith. And three, this image of Jesus himself sitting on like a a flowery hilltop, um, surrounded by a crowd of lost people, and his very presence at that moment, as well as in your life, is an act of God's care and provision for you now and in the future. Sugar